This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 7.06am on Wednesday, the 24th of January. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Philip C. In half an hour, we're going to discuss the outlook of the US dollar and other major currencies amid all the economic conditions that are percolating in the global economy this time around. But as always, we are going to kickstart the morning with a recap on how global markets closed overnight. In the US, the Dow was down 0.3%, S&P 500 up 0.3% and the Nasdaq was up 0.4%. Over across in Asia, it was mixed back. The Nikkei was down 0.1%. Hang Seng up 2.6%. Shanghai Composite up 0.5%. Singapore's STI down 0.4% and back home FBMKLCI up 0.3%, just four points shy of 1,500. All right. For some thoughts on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us Jack Kuzi, Director for Strategy at VFS Group. Jack, good morning. If we take a look at U.S. stocks, the current bullishness in equities is being driven by expectations of fast and furious rate cuts by the U.S. Fed. Should these reductions not occur for whatever reason, would the stock market come crashing down? Yeah, I mean, you better hope so. Um, It's been a phenomenal run. You know, all-time highs pretty much on every major index in the U.S. Uh, and that's been, you know, from the signal that we got in, in November from the Fed looking to, you know, lower interest rates three times in 2024. The market is certainly counting on it um, and has certainly started to price these in. I think I think the key test now is, let's just put in stretch size, is, is this earnings season that we're coming through. We need It needs to be great earnings, like, when we look at valuations of where these companies are um, to justify some of these valuations, particularly on some of these mega cap tech stocks, you know, it's got to be a stellar earnings season. We saw Netflix last night or this morning drop it. Again, uh, a great report. It's up 8% in the aftermarket. But I think the valuations need to be justified by solid earnings. We did see the banks disappoint a little. Um, and this week and next week will really separate, I guess, uh, the men from the boys in terms of uh, valuations. But you know, I don't think we're going to see the three rate cuts. I think CPI is going to trouble uh, the markets a little bit as we go on through the year, particularly with the oil price at where it is and where it's looking to go. Uh, but definitely the market does need these rate cuts to justify uh, the valuations we're seeing in markets now. So three weeks into the year, US stocks have continued that upward trend, but China's CSI 300 is down nearly 6% for the year. Why hasn't there been a positive spillover effect from one to the other? Yeah, I mean, China's really stuck in a negative loop at the moment. Um, we saw, you know, what was a remarkable week last week after the dropping of GDP data uh, and retail sales data, and we saw that the Hong Kong index, you know, lower by about 4%. Um, and that was uh, of many factors that are coming in. I think the, the issue that China has, and I've said this before, it's got a PR problem, but it also has a real lack of direction at the moment. We aren't seeing anything from, you know, the National Bank to the government on how they're going to get themselves out of this negative loop. I mean, the market's been waiting for some policy support around interest rates. Uh, they refuse to do that in light of, you know, slagging uh, property sales. Um, we haven't really seen a return to growth at all costs by the central government. Um, and that's making investors, I guess, nervous. And, and what you're also seeing is foreign investors are deserting China in droves. So, 
You know, we look at ETF makeups on emerging markets. You know, they're almost at their lowest in 10 years in terms of what China makes up of these emerging market ETFs. And you haven't seen the domestic market come in um, and cater for that lack of buying in the market. Uh, we did see yesterday that the government was looking at a national fund um, and some strong uh, words by the Premier Lee there as, as they proposed a, a market stabilisation fund. We did see a lot of these stocks rally, but... You know, it's kind of a 50-50 here from China. We don't know what the policy is going forward. It's definitely one that they don't want to leverage up and that's making markets nervous and we're seeing a lot of sellers. So what is the catalyst for an upward re- upside recovery, right, for both Hang Seng and Shanghai? Is it just much clearer direction then? Yeah, we need clearer direction by the central government. I mean, we we know clearly that it's not growth at all costs for China anymore. You know, GDP is probably not, you know, the number one target. And, you know, we aren't used to that. That was, you know, what was the Chinese playbook during the 90s and the 2000s. I think they've got a lot of national security on their minds. They're obviously going through a big data restructure on how they um, look, uh, oversee their companies. But, you know, growth at all costs is not what we're seeing from China. But we're not seeing a direction on certain key industries or where they want to go. So, you know, they need some policy support and they need to announce it soon to the market. Otherwise, things are just going to get even worse. We did see a bit of a bounce last night on the back of this market stabilisation fund. But unless we get some longer term support and some key direction on where they want to go, um, you know, you could be in the doldrums for a while here for Chinese equities. Meanwhile, what would be the, your advice for investors, Jack? I mean, should investors just wait and see where the government is going with this and and sort of pull money out of China for now? Or are there still pockets of opportunities that you think people could take uh, take advantage of at the moment? Yeah, look, when you look at valuations, we've said this, they look reasonably cheap. I mean, very cheap when you compare its tech companies to its tech counterparts in the U.S., um, you know, we've got a plan coming up. I'm, so, I'm certainly going to, we're going to see some, you know, another five-year plan. That will give us some direction. I think clean energy is somewhere where China is probably the central choke point around the world to continue to like those markets there. I think domestic semiconductor companies are a good way to go as they try to remove themselves from, you know, having the drip of, of US semiconductors. I think those are two key areas that I would look at uh, going forward. Um, and I still think, you know, it's a bit of a risky trade, but, you know, I think you start circling around China's property market now um, and its property companies. You know, we've got a big court case coming up on the 29th of Jan um, where they're going to restructure bonds on its largest um, property company there. I think that is starting to get into real cheap, and I think you're going to see policy support for them on their property market. So they're the three key areas where I'd concentrate, but I would still always have, you know, a... Um, uh, invested in what is still the central and most important economy in the world. Um, this is, you know, we haven't seen markets like this in China for quite a long time. Uh, it's a four-year run on the Hong Kong market. It's longest ever. I think eventually you're going to see value and investors will come back in. Jack, Sheen, it seems like their IPO plans are not going to un- unraveling with China's regulatory review. Are you experiencing deja vu? similar to what happened with right-hailing DD last year, two years ago? Well, well, it's a funny thing. You know, they've been going around convincing everybody they're not Chinese uh, with their Singapore headquarters, um, but they obviously are. Uh, I don't think it's a big thing. 
Uh, I think it's quite normal that the cybersecurity administration in China wants to see um, how they're collecting their data. Remember, most of their suppliers, even though they do no business in China, um, most of their suppliers are from China. Um, I think it's ticking off some boxes before the IPO. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to delay it too much. Um, it's not really, you know, it, it's similar to the Diddy one, but it's also very different. Remember, Diddy kind of, you know, just didn't listen to the to the Chinese authorities and went ahead and listed. And then when they got the probe, they were already listed and forced to be delisted. Uh, I think this is just a box ticking exercise. I understand why the Chinese are doing it. They're obviously very careful around how data is um, shared, particularly overseas. It's a big security concern for them. Um, but I think this will simply be a box ticking exercise and we'll see the IPO at some some point this year, if not by the middle of the year. All right, Jack, thank you very much for speaking with us. That was Jack Cousy, Director for Strategy at VFS Group, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead, especially that pertaining to what's happening with Chinese markets. Really, everyone looking to see what kind of support the government will give. A lot of buzz over the uh, talk of a plan to stem the market route. Mm. I think that 278, what's the figure? 278 billion? Um, I could, yeah. Yes, 278 billion uh, US dollars uh, that's being considered still hasn't been announced. Markets are reacting just on the speculation of it. On the back of it, there's news that actually now that China's sell-off has led to a record 38 trillion US dollar gap with US stocks, right? So that's really how big the market cap of the US stock market is greater than Hong Kong and China put together. All right, well, we're going to be watching this space. Meanwhile, let's turn to some of the international earnings reports that have come out overnight. Uh, really, Netflix taking center stage. Uh, they uh, announced fourth quarter results that exceeded Wall Street estimates in terms of subscriber numbers. Wall Street experts or analysts were estimating 9 million new subscribers. They added 13 million. So wow. that's pretty, that's huge. It's huge, right? Netflix ended the year with 216 million, new record high. And of course, earnings per share, two dollars one cent fell short of analyst expectations of two dollars twenty two but operating margins sitting at sixteen point nine percent for fourth quarter and twenty one percent for the full year twenty twenty three. I mean we always thought that Netflix would be this one-hit wonder as a result of the COVID. Clearly, they demonstrated that is not the case, that the numbers still keep on moving up. And really, it is a function of just having great content, isn't it, on that site? I mean, you have your Netflix account. I have my Netflix account. <laughs> we watch many shows. I'm really enamored with Maestro at the moment. I think that's the question, right? What is Netflix's next big thing? And it seems that actually going into live shows and live TV seems to be the next opportunity for them. They're actually going to be signing up with WWE's flagship program, Raw, in a 10-year deal value more than $5 billion. So this shift into live entertainment is really interesting for Netflix. Will they get into sports? Will they get into football? That would be super lucrative. I think it would definitely change the dynamics of the field if streaming platforms get into live sports. We did see uh, Disney having the rights to stream cricket in India. That was That's a right. huge boost for them. Uh, whether this is going to sp uh, spread on, especially as we see more sporting events. Uh, just to note, another headline from Netflix that came out this week is the fact that Scott Stuber, who who was one of the uh, people who are in, was in charge of building Netflix into a prolific movie studio, he's actually going to be leaving uh, Netflix in March. So that also 
creates a new chapter for Netflix, right? Who is mm. going to be replacing him in terms of uh, the content creation of Netflix? Uh, lots to watch on this front, whether they can keep up with these numbers uh, in the next quarters. Maybe very quickly on 3M, I think uh, we saw good results from Netflix, but 3M uh, suffered the biggest sell-off in nearly five years after announcing 2024 sales and profit targets that were below Wall Street expectations. That's right. Shares profited as much as 13%, the most of any company in the S&P 500. The Post-it maker said... Justice earnings will be no more than $9.75 per share, lower than the estimated $9.81. Do you still use post-it notes? I do actually, Phil, mm. and I especially love those little tabs that they have as well. I yeah. do find that a 3M still has a superior product compared to maybe their cheaper alternatives. But there you go. Uh, still, sticky notes can't keep them afloat uh, for now. 7.18 <laughs> in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but we will come back to cover more top stories in the newspapers and portals. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.